0: I wanna think and talk about Father's Day. I don't believe I've ever spoke on Father's Day before. And however, I can say that I've never spoken on Father's Day before, but I have listened on Father's Day, and I have done so probably as an adult longer than most people have before they became fathers. I think I must have as an adult listened to probably twenty three or twenty-four different Father's Day sermons, you know, as I go. And so I've got something to kind of compare with and think through, and especially when I wasn't a father and now that I am. And I suppose there's several ways to approach this as as I've listened and, and observed in uh, over the years. And one way to approach this is here are all the ideals, the biblical, spiritual, theological ideals of what a father should be, and you're all terrible men if you don't a- match up to each one of them individually. And so it's kind of like kind of a real donor of a service, I think. I don't know if the pastors necessarily intended that, but that's kind of how I came away with it. In some of those sermons, I thought, well, I'm glad I'm not a father, because I could never... I match up with that, and I can't even now, but anyway, or there's another way to approach this, and you could say, well, you're all great fathers, and this message is to affirm the value and importance of fatherhood, and, uh, you know, you're all good people, so, but that kind of hits at whether you're personally deserved or not, you're just good because you're a father, and, you know, I'm not sure if that's quite the right approach either, and maybe these are just one extremes to the other, anyway. And of course, not always is the message directly apl- applicable to those who are not fathers. I kind of noticed that right away because I wasn't one, and I was listening through all that. But anyway, though there are, it, well, there is great value for non-fathers to learn what the biblical ideal is, and for the rest of us as well, uh, who never may be fathers, but at least we know what what God intends. But I'd like to approach this a little bit different way. I do want to affirm fatherhood. But I also want to make sure of two things. Number one, that the glory goes to God. And number two is that there is something in this message for everyone. Okay, so first of all, let me just say that I do affirm the value of fatherhood. And you know, it's in a, it's in a crisis that you learn where your true priorities are. Like, you know, the house is burning. What pitcher do you go save? Or whatever. Or what pet do you like? And so you grab that one. Or whatever. You know, so you, you just know where your priorities are. And I would want to say, first and foremost, that I love my mom. In fact, I have six moms. One's in Brazil, one's, that's my mother-in-law, and one's in Australia, one's in Britain, one's in Jamaica. I got to see her a month and a half ago. It was really wonderful. I got to go to Jamaica for 48 hours. There was a church that I had been a part of that was celebrating their 60th year anniversary, and I got to give a greeting from baptism in to that, that them, but I also got to see my mom, and I hadn't seen her in a long time, and it was wonderful and then I uh, have an Iowa mom, and I also have my own mom, and, you know, I have high expectations for my mom, so, uh, so it was helpful, I think, for my own mom to have the responsibilities kind of shared out with amongst others, so, so uh, she wasn't driven crazy about that, but anyway, I would say, though, about two years into my time as a missionary, now, I went to Jamaica as a single missionary when I was, I don't know. Three or four years old, it seemed like, but in, in adult years, it was probably 31 years old. As far as my maturity and stuff was going, it wasn't that high. But in any case, about two years into my time in, as a missionary, I was really struggling in a lot of ways. And I I could only talk to my parents at that time about two times a month. So, uh, you know, there was kind of forced you know, separateness there. You know, I'm, when I lived in the United States, when I was here in Iowa and I was pastoring in Eastern Iowa, my, my parents lived in, in Ohio and then Michigan. I always, my, the, my phone bill was the most outrageous and out of control bill of all that I had because, you know, I contacted and, and was very close to my parents. But that changed when I went to Jamaica and I couldn't talk to them on a regular basis. And, and at that time, I was still trying to learn the culture as a foreigner in a new country but I was really struggling, both spiritually, emotionally, probably mentally as well. I knew I needed help, and the person I reached out to was my dad. Now, I love my mom, and I knew the affirmation she would give, but I knew what I needed most would come from my dad, as far as where I was in life and what I needed and, and that. Now, being a father no, uh, now, I know that I'm not adequate. I know that I can't do this great task in my own strength and wisdom. I also know that the stakes are pretty high. That is, I don't want to mess up my kids. And you only get really one shot at that. I mean, the shot lasts about 18 years, but still, you can still, there's plenty of time to mess that up, I would say. And I also know that God can do amazing things through ordinary people. And we're going to see that today illustrated through our common salvation and the challenges of division in the church and the church in Corinth, but of course there are other applications we can make to that as well. And so the main point here this morning is that you must understand that God can do great things, big things, wonderful things through ordinary people, through small people, through common people. We don't have to have some sort of spiritual, super spiritual, super Christian status. And I study history and, and one of my, well, my main area is the Reformation, and I'm actually preparing a class that has, to, has a large section on the Reformation for, for a January class. But one thing I like to say is, hey, look, you know, these people are, you know, giants of the faith. Yeah, Martin Luther and, and John Calvin and Zwingli and, and lots, a host of other lesser, less known people but you know what? They're just regular people, too, and they make mistakes, and they were wrong in a lot of ways. In fact, we believe they were all wrong. How do I know that we believe we're all wrong? Well, if we practice believer baptism, well, then we think we're, they're wrong in something, because none of those guys did uh, believe in believer baptism. So so we recognize they're human beings, and they make mistakes. And I think when we exalt people on that, we just think, well, I could never attain that. They just must have been almost, you know, godly, like, like, Member of the Godhead or something but but that that uh, i don 't really want to run people down, but but to demystify that, I think that 's important, and you know what Fatherhood is one of those things, and actually unity is one of those things, and actually, sharing our common salvation is one of those things that all of us can do, so you must believe, must trust, must understand that God can do great things with ordinary people. Now, the passage of Scripture, I'm going to start reading in, in verse 18, but we're going to focus in on later in the passage. It says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world. For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by foolishness, uh, by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greek foolishness. But unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many many wise men, uh, say, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many uh, noble are called. So I want us to have that sort of as a backdrop before we get into the word this morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to do a very important thing, to look into your word, to see what is there. And no matter how much of a daunting or difficult practice that is, we know that it's helpful for us. But Father, I hope that we would take it one step beyond that, just observing, but also practicing. That is, putting into practice. Help us to realize that there could be something in your word today that that you are trying to impress upon our, our life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that you would help us to allow that to happen this morning. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so why do you need to understand that God can do big things through small people? Well, because really the re- all of us fit into that latter category. I mean, at least I do. I'm not a super Christian or anything like that. but But... In the passage we're looking, look, we're going to look at, especially from verse 26 onward, there's some really significant reasons why we need to understand that. Because if we understand and get that into our minds that, wait, God is going to use people like you and me to affect what he wants done here, not only at Northridge Baptist Church, but also in this neighborhood where God has so strategically located you, then I can do that. I can do that through 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 Christ. And uh, why is that so hard for us to understand? Well, I just read verse 26 there. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many uh, wise men after the flesh, or uh, not many mighty, not many noble, are called. Why is this so hard for sometimes for us to believe? Is because powerful people have difficulty being attracted to our message. Did you notice that? Powerful people. He even mentions their nobility. Nobility. I'm going to come back to that just in a second. But Verse 26, especially turning your attention from the, both of those groups that believe in verse 24, both the Jews and the Greeks, the fact that verse 25 bears out the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men, bears out the, in our experience those who believed. It's difficult for an intelligent person by earthly standards. Say, I mean, I read about this one guy, this was years and years ago, but he finished a Ph.D., in physics and then in chemistry, and he wrote one dissertation one month and one dissertation the next month and finished it all out at the same time, graduated two PhDs. Wow, that must be a really smart guy. And you know what they showed him? It was a little clip or something. They showed him playing video games because that's kind of what he likes to do to kind of wind down or whatever, but a really smart guy. And you've probably known smart guys like that. A lot of times they tell you how smart they are, so you kind of have a p- indication of that, but anyway how would a person like that be attracted to a message that tells you how bad you are? That, I mean, when we're trying to convince somebody of the gospel, we have to let them know they need the gospel. And how do we let them know they need the gospel? Well, we quote the Bible to them. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You fall short. Hey, do you see all of my uh, accomplishments and all that? So the intelligent person isn't necessarily going to be attracted. But also those who are, I don't know, high achievers. You know, somebody who who maybe never went to college but started a multi-billion-dollar company? Hey, that person's got power. That person's got brains. That person's got some some influence worth listening to. Are they going to be so? I'm especially a self-made person like that. Are they going to be so interested into a message that tells them how that they could fall short, that they're not good enough, that they're well? I've been having te- people tell me I'm not good enough my whole life, and had a f- chip on my shoulder, and that's why I'm such a an accomplished person. I mean, you 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 see those those dynamics going on in in people's lives but it's a difficult for an intelligent person for a high capacity person to be attracted to a message that tells them how much how bad they are and and to put their faith in a message God's plan that was purposely designed to be an affront to that person's wisdom Well, wait a minute This is foolish. Yeah, it is in the eyes of this world, but this isn't from the world. This is from God. And it's important, it's difficult for a proud person, for whatever reason they choose to be proud about, to put it his or her faith in a message that reveals their own powerlessness. There is nothing you can do. There is no amount of money that can buy your salvation. You are powerless. No, I'm not. I can do it. No, you can't. That's not going to be a really that much of a, a powerful message or a, a appealing message for them. It's difficult for a respectable person to put their pay- faith in a message that magnifies their ignoble existence and I I told you that about the nobility the nobility when it was around again I've studied history so that's kind of what I'm kind of thinking their middle ages and and after that the nobility did everything they could to show that they were different than everybody else they lived in different types of homes than everybody else and how do we know this so well because you can see pictures of the homes that they lived in. Versailles. I've never been there outside of, of uh, Paris, France, but that's where King Henry the whatever sorry Louis the whatever, 14th, 15th, 16th lived. And I mean it's just an amazing place. And and they have what's called there. I've seen it in pictures, these this the, the hall of mirrors or something. It's all golden mirrors. I mean, and it just looks like the gold goes forever, or whatever. But anyway, they're different from you. That's what they wanted people to see because they, they, they wanted to maintain their power, of course. Do you think a person like that is going to be uh, attracted to a message like we have? Not many, the Bible says uh, in verse 26. Not many wise men after the flesh. Not many mighty. Not many noble are called. Can you imagine a peasant in those days, you know, king's ch- chariot or carriage or whatever breaks down and he's helping fix it and he tells the king, hey, you're, an, you're a nasty person going to hell because you don't have your sins forgiven. That's probably not going to appeal to someone, you know, in that high and mighty state. And yet, first century Corinth, what's going on there? Who was accepted in the gospel? Those people who were enslaved and those people at the lower levels of society. Why? Because they had a gospel message that they could believe, and they had eternal life, and some of the higher-ups did not. The application here is we need to realize the difficulty some people have in accepting the gospel, and this will help us be more understanding and patient with him. Ah, you know, this guy's a blowhard, you know, he's just so impressed with his own being in essence that, that, you know, God could never use a guy like that anyway. I don't care how much money he has. Let's, let's focus our, our interest elsewhere. Well, no, really, the, we shouldn't be surprised about that. We shouldn't be, and, and in the world in which we live in, almost everybody can, you know, the individualness and the, the rugged self-determination that, that seems to be so exalted in our day and age, People are going to have a problem with this message, and it's going to take some patience and time. Can I make another application for us today? And that is that of fathers. We're supposed to be big, powerful, tough, all-knowing, and maybe even a little bit intimidating because that can help us in some situations with our kids. But we're supposed to know what and how to do it. But we need to be humble. We need to be learning. We need to be meek, that strength under control. And we need to be 100% dependent on the Lord for the wisdom that we need to be fathers. And it's okay for us to realize that. I've had to ask my own children to forgive me. I don't know if you've ever done that, but boy, asking a four-year-old to f- forgive you or something like that, I, I didn't know I was going to be in a situation, especially when I'm in my 50s here. But I've had to do that because, you know, I mess up. I don't like doing that, but it's important to do, to be vulnerable even To our children, to be human, theological implication for us is for all of us to understand God is not impressed with us. We need to be impressed with him, and I think that's really helpful for us to understand, even as we're taking the gospel to other people, and we need to magnify Uh, what God has done in our lives. And, you know, hey, give your personal testimony. That's a wonderful thing to do. Not how wonderful you are, but to magnify how great God was in saving you. That's a wonderful thing. Let's keep going in verse 27 and 28. says, says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. The things which are mighty, and the base things of the world, and things which are despised, God hath chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring about, to bring to naught the things that are. Why would why do you, why do you, why should you understand? Why should you act on the fact that God uses to do his great and wonderful things he uses common and everyday ordinary people like you and like me especially if you are someone here who has trusted Christ as your savior you know your, your sins are forgiven you know you're on your way to heaven not because of anything you did but what Christ did for you why should you believe that and act on that well because God purposely desi- devised a message that goes against the wisdom of the world and when you think in the bible of what he's telling us to convey to others you think why This is going to be a tough sell here. I wonder if God knew that this is not the easiest... It would be so much better, really, if we could say, hey, you are so special... And there is a wonderful and and amazing task for you to do. And you are capable. And you just need to love yourself more in order to be able to do it. And when you do, you will have all the happiness in the world. Then do you think if you had a message like that, that that would be very popular? Probably not in the day and age which which we live today. Really? No way. You can hear that message everywhere. Where, but we have actually... A message that goes really counter to that. And yet, that is the gospel which we preach. That's important for us to understand. The base things there that it's talked about in verse 28 the low and despised. And sometimes that comes from ordinary people like you and me talking to somebody that's high and mighty and lifted up and we're the base things we're the despised we're the lower thing why should i listen to you you don't know anything you haven't made a billion dollars you haven't even made a million dollars you're not important and yet god purposely does devise that to, ha- to to be our message and he equips and empowers us through the holy spirit to take that message to other people well i'm not that important no maybe not but you know what god has a message for us to convey to others you might say well there's somebody out there that i don't know anything about their heritage or their culture or or, or their country where they're coming from (coughs) i can't talk to that person oh yeah you can well i uh, they won't listen to me i'm not even i'm like a stranger well don't be a stranger you want to build relationships that are permanent and 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 important and substantive but you are to do that because God has equipped and actually designed us to be able to take this message to others, and we're supposed to do that, and we can do that. That's why it's so important for you to be convinced of this, that God wants you to do it. God is chosen the very thing, oftentimes, about which we are proud to humble us. Like, actually, you want an example of that? 1 Corinthians thir- chapter 1 is one of those examples. I, in my earlier days, had I struggled with that over and over. Well, what I, I see a lot of different themes in here. How would I preach that passage? What is that? And I, and I was a little bit young in the ministry and stuff, realized... Maybe it's not so good to do a whole chapter all at once. Maybe let's break it down into smaller pieces. Didn't get that right away. And so I was trying, I struggled with this passage for, as I put it here in my notes, two and a half years to figure out what is the point of this whole passage because there's so much going on here. I'll just break it down and it's a little bit better. But anyway, I'm not that smart. But God devised a plan and proclaims a message that makes powerful people realize their utter weakness and helplessness, and makes intelligent people admit their inability to discern God's plan. God does n- not appeal to us on the basis of our strength of character or position. He does not pro- have us proclaim a message that pridefully appeals to our expert sense of reasoning skills. And as I mentioned there, the low-born the, 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 the those who have not the opportunities in life that other people have. And, and uh, the, the, there was lots of, of lower-born people in Corinth, those that, the, the non-entities, the non-important people, and they were there to really show the important people how important they were, because you've got all these people that you're in charge of, and over, and all of that. But the truth is, is that we can expect to accomplish nothing on our own anyway. We're conveying a message from someone else. Now, we don't, we're not the Holy Spirit. We can't move in someone's heart to accept the gospel. We, we can sure do our part to share it. Their power is ineffective, who rely on their own. I remember when I was in high school, there was a team that, that had set out, that, and actually was pretty, pretty outward about it, even in the media, that how bad they were going to beat us. And didn't really like that, and thought, wow, man, they said that, we're going to get killed now, they're really motivated, but you know what, we ended up going in and beating them in their own gym, they didn't like that too well, but anyway, the point is, is that, that uh, these expectations people have, when they're put in crisis situations, doesn't mean anything, death is death to everybody, and death is coming to everybody, and those realities, you may Catch someone right at the right time where they're thinking about that, and there may be a high and exalted, mighty person. I have an opportunity in a couple of weeks that was given to me. It's not something I was able to do on my own, to to go on a, um, a rafting trip down the Grand Canyon, and it's d- put on by the Answers and Genesis people because they want to show you the, geog- the, the geology and stuff like that, and they really want. They're targeting college presidents and deans and things like that to really get an army sort of of people that are real advocate for that, and so they do this every year. So, so I'm, I'm going to be doing that, and uh, I had to tell. I, I use a CPAP machine at night so I can breathe and not stop breathing, and so I had to go talk to my doctor about that, and, and this is a doctor, a medical guy, real smart, been through who knows what to get there, uh, to where he's at. And yet I was telling him, hey I need this sort of contraption so that I can use this to work while there's no electricity, there's no phone signal or anything where we're going. So, so I had to show him, you know, what kind of parts and pieces do I need to make this CPAP work while I'm doing this thing. And I said to him, you know what, uh, this is to sh- help show how ineffective evolution is in explaining the world in which we live. And I talked to him about this, like, I don't, I'm not a science person. I'm a humanities guy. I don't even like science. My son likes science, and I don't know what's to matter with him. I just think this is not the orientation that our family is really you know geared toward but in any case he likes it and I'm talking to this medical guy about science and of course I'm talking about the the presuppositions the assumptions that we have and and I just said look this just doesn't add up to me it does not have so I don't know what he thought he says well you know there are still a lot of questions about evolution And that's all he would say. But the point is, is that I shouldn't be intimidated by his stature or or whatever. Hey, if he thinks that I'm a fool, let him think that. I probably am anyway. I mean, you know, really. I mean, a lot of things. I can't, I mean, maybe you know how to fix your car. I don't know how to fix your car. I can't even fix my car. So there's a lot of things that I don't know. I am. It's okay. If if this was okay for him to think that I'm a fool, if, if that's what he would choose to think. But the point is is that we have a message to give to other people to say, "Look, there's some things in our lives that we accept so easily that need to be questioned." Anyway, uh, an application here in God purposely devising a message that goes against the wisdom of the world, don't worry about the scorn of this world in relationship to our message and in relationship to how we live our lives. We need to reach them with this message of foolishness to show forth God's love and concern for their very souls. And I'm excited about the opportunity you have here at this church. The world's outside your door. You have people groups that need the gospel, and you don't even have to go very far to find them. God is not done with this church. He has a plan. He has the power, and he has the wisdom. That's what we need to rely on. And for fathers. This also applies to fathers in relationship to how God wants us to order our homes. Do you know the devaluation and degrading of the role of the father has been evident in our culture, at least since the 1980s when I could figure out that I was a live being and could figure out how things are going. In those days, we used to have what's called TV and network TV. That is, you didn't decide what you wanted to watch when you wanted to watch it. You watched it when they wanted you to watch it, you know, so so sitcoms and all that stuff. And... And the role of the father was, was clearly being devalued even back then. The ideal man was portrayed so often oftentimes in a feminized and very incompetent way. So if you as a father want to raise your children in the way the Bible intends, you're going to appear foolish to this world. Absolutely you are. You want to educate your kids at home? What's all that about? That's crazy. We do that too, but in any case, you're going to face ridicule and scorn. Sometimes that might even come from members of your own extended family, but wisdom, our wisdom comes from above. Our wisdom should come from a careful study of God's word, what you allow in your home, what you don't allow in your home, what you allow your kids to associate with in their dress and their actions, and how you stir their affections towards the things of God. You'll be thought of as a fool how you raise your kids if you raise them in a godly way. But you know what? We're okay with that. We should be okay with that. Why? Because our our, the greatest message we have to share with other people is foolish, too, to them until they have the Holy Spirit work in their life. Implication here, too, is this teaches us about the very nature of God. The things that we honor and value so highly mean nothing to Him. He repeatedly takes the despised and makes it into useful vessels for His purpose and plans. Let's keep reading in our text in verse 29, following there, sh- there, that no flesh should glory in, in His presence. And this is where we're talking about the glory of God. And. And not that, oh, you know, let's hear your story about how wonderful uh, you've overcome all of these things in your life and whatever. I mean, those stories are inspirational. I get that. But, But as Christians, where does the glory go? Verse 30, But of him ye are in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord." Verse 30 is also translated in another version. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Only because of what God has already done for us can we be saved. The point here is that everything great in us was given to us by Christ. We don't have greatness in and amongst ourselves. Okay? So... God is forcing us to the conclusion that the only way to glory or boast about is in him. There is nothing in, in ourselves that, we, that can commend us. Really, we're nothing, and that's okay. Why? I have an illustration here. I heard it from a pastor in Jamaica, and I've never forgotten it. How much would you pay for a toothbrush? Now, I was just actually looking for him at Walmart, and I like those ones you know, we use for travel, like one-time purpose, you get us bunch of six of them for a dollar. There wasn't any there, so I told my wife, next time those come around, let's buy as many as we can, because you know what? Those are helpful. How much would you pay for a toothbrush? So when I buy those, I'm not good with math either, science math number, but I don't know what six divided by a hundred is, but it's not very much. I'm willing to pay that. How much are you willing to pay for a toothbrush? Do you know that at auction there was a toothbrush that went for $22,000? Now, this was a while ago, so I don't know in what today's funds that would be, but it would be more than $22,000. Would you pay for $22,000 for a a toothbrush? And get this, it wasn't brand new. It was actually used. Why would you pay $22,000 for a toothbrush that wasn't new? (laughs) (laughs) probably because you're not going to use it. Well, it's not because of the intrinsic value of that toothbrush, but it was because of who owned it. It was used by Napoleon Bonaparte from the early, you know, 1800s or something like that before he kind of got his end at Waterloo. But anyway, so it's not what the value is with the toothbrush but it's because of who owned it and I think that's a helpful way of understanding of our value in Christ it's because of what Christ has given to us is why we have he, he he loves us and 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 it's because of who owns us that's why we have value appreciation or application here is we ought to glory in what God has done not what we have done and this is really important for us, especially as we're witnessing to other people, because we're going to get rejected. And you know what? That's kind of lousy, you know, honestly. But, but the truth is, do you understand your value to God? He loves you, not for your own wisdom and might, but because of who He is. And you have value based on that very relationship. For fathers, how can we bring glory to Christ in our homes? How can we show our dependence on the Lord to our children? We all have things we do that we don't want someone catching us doing. i just tell you right now, I'm going to tell you one of those things. I'd rather really not have my wife know how much of the cookie batter I ate yesterday when I was making cookies with my daughter. It was a lot. <laughs> there was only two trays of cookies left when we were done with that. And I, you know, I mean, I told my, my daughter, you know, we have to know if it tastes good or not before we, you know, otherwise we don't want to, you know, if we, maybe there's something we forgot in there, and so we've got to try it. A lot of it. So anyway, however, there are some things that it's good for us to be caught doing. Praying, studying the Bible. Have your kids caught you doing that? As fathers, we have the opportunity to deflect so much of the wisdom that our kids think are just in us to our Heavenly Father who has given it to us. We constantly need to point our children whether they're four years old or 40 years old, to the things of God and be vulnerable about your dependence on God. And why shouldn't we be? Because we're not anything in and of ourselves anyway. Let's be thankful to our great God who gives us all we need and we are made valuable in him. Conclusion here, fathers, Determine how this looks like in the culture you've established for the relationships in your own home with your wife and your children. For all of us, let us realize the way God has planned for us to reach others who need the gospel by building powerful and purposeful relationships with others who need to hear the foolish message that we have been given to share with them. And remember, God is not finished with us yet. Otherwise, why are we still here? So God has a purpose and plan. There's something very strategic about the fact that Northridge Baptist Church is established and is going and is in this location. God is not finished. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to look into your word and thank you for the encouragement that you bring to us from your word. Thank you that you decide to use us who will fail you so often and yet this is your plan. And so even if We look at the fact that there's foolishness from what the world considers wise in our message that we're delivering something that you've given us to do. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to renew ourselves in opportunities that you would allow us to have in this coming week. Help us to look for opportunities to share Christ with others, even if they seem to be uh, unwilling or might be unwilling to accept the message. Father, I pray that you would give us strength to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.